Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. How Vance Joseph feels about his defense and what turned the game in the Cardinals' favor on Sunday night. Adam Murray, MVP candidate or, at worst, Offensive Player of the Year? We've got the numbers, but first, another honor for Murray. At this rate, he might need to build another bookshelf, if he even has a bookshelf. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 341, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2 with Craig Grigalou and Mike Jarecki. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. Murray rolls to the right, throws near side, defense caught, and he's into the end zone for the touchdown. Here's Craig Grigalou and Mike Jarecki. So it's interesting. It's not just the players who get excited about the bye week and having a couple of days off. Coaches do as well, or at least one coach that we know of, Mike Jarecki. That would be defensive coordinator Vance Joseph, who earlier today when meeting with the media, looking forward to getting some sleep because, in his words, the head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, is an early riser. Quote, he is a 4.30 a.m. guy. I'm here at 5.30 and I'm late. End quote. So... That's why a lot of things happen, meetings, practices in the morning. Everyone's trying to keep up with Kingsbury. Well, I know you, and uh, I'm an early riser. I like to get my day going. Um, Steve Kime, he's out there 4 or 4.30. Adrian Wilson's there early. I mean, and if those guys are there early, I mean, you know, these guys got lives and families, but Cliff's done that from day one. That's I just, why, and, and I really like the new practice this year. And, you know, we haven't talked about it, East Coast games and slow starts. And maybe we look at Carolina, they came off flat. But they practice early in the morning, and the players love it. Now, obviously, when, you you know, you're on the team for the last couple of years, you kind of know the schedule. It's a little bit different this uh, this year. But for the most part, you know, they get out of there, depending on your position group and meetings and if you got to get some uh, therapy you can be out of there in the afternoon, you know, not like the coaches there till probably seven, eight, nine at night. I just feel if you sleep in or, you know, you get your You're day started something. at eight or nine. Yeah, you get the day's like half over with, it just feels like. So, yeah, early to bed, early to rise. That's that's kind of my motto now. You know, my motto has always been, what time is it East Coast-wise? Because when you wake up, you see all this news breaking. You're seeing press conferences going on. You're like, Okay, so really we live off the East Coast time because that's when everything gets going. Now there's also information throughout the day. But if you want to be behind the eight ball, uh, don't sleep in. Perfect segue into what I want to talk about next because at 5.30 a.m. Arizona time, so 8.30 a.m. East Coast time, the NFL announced Kyler Murray named NFC Offensive Player of the Week. 360 passing yards and three touchdowns, plus 67 rushing yards and one touchdown against the Seahawks. He completed a career-high 34 of 48 pass attempts, nearly 71%, and helping the Cardinals pick up their biggest win to date. Second time, MJ, in three weeks that Murray has been honored. Yeah, and just go back to uh, Buda Baker the week before. You know, you and I were talking, you know, over the last couple of days, and we know the award comes out on Wednesday, uh, East Coast time. And uh, we thought that, okay, and we looked at all the different quarterbacks, and I looked at Tom Brady, and he had four touchdowns 
and it's Tom Brady, and he hasn't been in the conference very long. He has won the award in week four. So I was thinking there's tough competition, and then you filled me in that, you know, Devin White from the Buccaneers made it as the defensive player of the week. So I, I have to go back and see if one team had two guys. But Murray was worth it. It was on, on prime time. Um, again, three touchdowns, four total with the rushing. I mean, he accumulated over 400 total yards of offense, and he led this team to a victory, so it makes sense. But, you know, I was looking at the list just in the NFC. Russell Wilson's won the award twice, Kyler Murray twice, Matt Ryan, Prescott, and Brady. And then the defensive side, Aaron Donald and Buda Baker have made it. And as for the special teams, Seattle and uh, the Rams both had their punters in there. So the NFC West is dominating players of the week. And you know what? It makes sense. The best division in football. So you mentioned it. You've had Kyla Murray, Buda Baker, and now Murray again, three straight weeks. And Murray, first Cardinals quarterback to be named player of the week twice in the same season since Kurt Warner back in 2009. And just the second player in team history to win offensive player of the week twice in a three week span. You got to way back to Boomer Esiason in 1996. So the honors keep piling up for K1. Boomer Esiason, I want to say one of those two, he threw for 522 yards. And it was at uh, JFK Stadium. I was there. It was raining a little bit. I want to say that it may have gone to overtime. You don't throw for 522 yards. But uh, I remember one of those games from Boomer Esiason. But when you look at the list, Carson Palmer was playing like an MVP. Now we'd have to go back and see who won the award certain weeks. But you would have thought Palmer would have been in that equation at some point. But also Warner, obviously very successful, very accurate. And when you throw four or five touchdowns, you're going to be on this list. More on Murray a little bit later on because it is fascinating on now what the national conversation is starting to become and where Murray might end up as far as some of these debates, MVP, Offensive Player of the Year. But some uh, news that we want to get to, some house-cleaning items. The Cardinals have made a couple of roster moves since our last show, most recently adding defensive lineman Josh Morrow off the Jacksonville practice squad. Former Cardinal Morrow spent four seasons from 2014 to 2017, so now he is on the active roster. Zach Allen, Isaiah Irving both added to injured reserve. Allen because of an ankle issue and Irving with a neck. Now, the good news is here is that no player by the name of Kenyon Drake, Jordan Phillips, or Jordan Hicks was added to injured reserve because if you go on IR, that means you're done for at least three weeks, so... We don't quite know officially with what's going on with Drake, but I think it said something that he was not placed on injured reserve. Yeah, and the initial report from Adam Schefter said it could be a couple weeks. Uh, they'll be back on the practice field after the bye week. Um, so we hopefully we'll get an update and uh, we'll see his availability. But I, I think it's safe to say that if uh, Drake's not able to go the next couple of weeks, we talked about it earlier in the week, it's going to be the Chase Edmonds show and then – it's going to be interesting to see who the backups are because this could be an opportunity for Eno Benjamin. Right now, as Kingsbury said, by committee, but we all know that it's one running back with someone else spelling that number one guy just to give him a little bit of a blow. But, hey, if someone like a Chase Edmonds can handle the load or if an Eno Benjamin or Jonathan Ward, DJ Foster, let's not forget about him. He's currently on the practice squad. 
there's going to be an opportunity. Now it's just a matter of how long that window lasts with Drake on the sidelines. And Kyler Murray. That's right. <laughs> Keep forgetting about K1 with respects to the ground game. I can't do that, but it's easy to do. Well, we're talking about the position versus the quarterback, but let's be honest, it seems like whoever they put back there under Sean Kugler, for the most part, now David Johnson had some issues, and there's a reason why they went out and got Kenyon Drake, and they gave more of a role to Chase Edmonds. But for the most part, the majority of the guys that play within the frame of the offensive line blocking schemes, they're, they're, they're getting holes to run through. So hopefully that happens regardless of who's in the backfield. Cardinals with the number two rushing attack in the NFL, number three when you look at yards per carry at 5.2, which would set a franchise record, a record that they set a year ago under offensive line coach Sean Kugler. So this team continues to run the ball very, very well. Some other news and notes from Vance Joseph, who was made available earlier today with respects to the injury. We know Jordan Phillips is suffering from a hamstring injury. Not sure how severe. Jordan Hicks, we've never been given a reason why he was on the sidelines. But according to Coach Joseph, he thinks Hicks will be fine. So that's good news. Rest up during the bye week and then be ready for the Dolphins contest. Also, Prince Amukamara continues to make progress on the practice squad. And in Joseph's words, quote, is close to playing. So we'll see the shuffling that has to go on in the secondary because right now, You've got a number of guys, and then don't forget Jalen Thompson should be available soon coming off injured reserve if he becomes healthy. Yeah, and we know that Drake Kirkpatrick's been dealing with some uh, lingering injuries. Now, give him credit. He did try to play through there, but if, if you want to look at a guy that's going to have to get better in coverage, he's going to have to get better in open field tackling, Prince Amakamura has experience. Um, the Cardinals did have some interest in the offseason. He he chose to go somewhere else. He's bounced around a little bit. He's played in different systems, but he's got experience. And, and obviously, Drake or Patrick has experience. And so you'd like to have some depth there with experience. You don't want to rely on too many young guys. You've got a couple young guys in the secondary with the Thompson twins, but you also have Buddha, who's 25, and Chris Banjo. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they try to mix and match a little bit, but I think depth's good. And when you got a guy like Prince Sakamura, who's got experience, he can come in and play now. It's just a matter of him picking up how the defense wants to be called, etc. And following up on our conversation yesterday about Marcus Golden, we heard from Hassan Reddick. Joseph asked about Golden, quote, he fits perfectly into our plan. Then he added, quote, he is going to make plays for us. That's a great get for our defense. And then he explained, MJ, that as far as rushing the passer, it takes effort, relentless effort. And that is something that you can't teach. Not everyone can do it, but you have to continually pound, pound, pound. And he thinks that's what Golden is able to do as far as getting to that other team's quarterback. You know, it's interesting. We talked about the, the outside linebackers numbers, right? In the like 42, 43, 44, 45, if I'm not mistaken. The Cardinals must have the most undersized linebackers in the league. And, it, and listen, it's not the size of the dog. It's how the dog fights. And I'm not putting down any of those players from a standpoint. Dennis Gardak, uh, Marcus Golden, even Kylie Fitz is a little bit bigger, number 49. Um, but, again, um, it's just interesting their numbers and what their sizes are because normally you see a Chandler Jones, and that's an outside linebacker. So we've got 42, 43, 44, 45, 49. And, of course, Chandler Jones wears 55 but not uh, on the field. 
at the moment. So, yeah. Oh, and don't forget, number 48, but that's Isaiah Simmons, more of an inside guy. Yeah, he's tall. Yes, he certainly stands out. He looks the part. Cardinal fans, a reminder, this is the bye week, so no game coming up this weekend, but there is entertainment headed your way. Cardinals Flight Plan, Season 3, Episode 6, titled Raising the Bar, will debut on Saturday, October 31st. That's right, spend part of your Halloween night watching Cardinals Flight Plan on the official YouTube page of the Arizona Cardinals. Go to YouTube.com slash AZ Cardinals. I was able to check out the trailer. It is and, very, very uh, solid. DeAndre Hopkins. Interesting comments from him. You know, just how, you know, when he fumbled the ball, felt like he let his team down. I don't want to give you too much, but uh, nice to see Hop, you know, mic'd up. That touchdown throw, great catch, great throw by Murray. It's just kind of reliving what happened, uh, them beating the Seahawks, and, of course, what's happened over the last couple of weeks, guys getting game balls. And another guy who was mic'd up, Buda Baker, that video, as they say, has gone viral, especially that scene in which he gets caught from behind by DK Metcalf, and he's asking people on the sidelines, how did he get me? You know, he used different choice of words, but it certainly has made the rounds. And, uh, of course, well, you know, Buda Baker off the field versus on the field, two different players or two different yeah, people, I should I, say. I, I'm just glad he's getting some national exposure. He's made some uh, national hits. They're talking about him on Good Morning Football. Um, they're actually talking about Larry today and how smart he is when he spots the ball. Welcome to our world. He's been doing it for years. And he did that a couple different times. I was watching the game back again, and he did it a couple of different times in late-game situations, ripping the ball out of the hands of Chase Edmonds and then handing it to Mason Cole or at least getting it in position because, look, especially late in that game in the second half, when that clock is ticking with no timeouts and it's three seconds and you spike that football for Zane Gonzalez, if Fitz doesn't do what he did, you can make an argument that the clock expires and there is no field goal attempt to force overtime. Yeah, I don't even want to think of that because you see that happen a lot. And usually you need three seconds, you know, to spike the ball at least, you know, because usually then you get it down to two or one, but you need at least three. And the esteemed Mark Dalton always tweets out, showing him as a ball boy in Minnesota. So he was always spotting the ball. Here, here he's, he was running routes. He was taking, uh, you know, Randy Moss and Chris Carter and Jake Reed, taking their car probably at 15 years old to get it washed. Uh, and But here he is on the sidelines spotting the ball. So the more you can do, right? Exactly. And he learned at a very young age. Bird Gang, make sure you update to the latest version of the Cardinals mobile app today. The update features an all-new redesigned home screen experience. Visit azcardinals.com slash app for more. Let's get into more Kyler Murray and what he has accomplished so far through seven games this season, a 5-2 and two record. His numbers, though, certainly look, I wouldn't say great, but they're pretty darn good. Almost 67% completion percentage, 13 touchdowns, seven interceptions. That number is a little bit high. He's got seven rushing touchdowns, and that is tied for the league lead among all players, not just quarterbacks. I'm talking about running backs. So Kyler Murray is up there, and, of course, his 6.7 yards per carry average ranks number two among all players, quarterbacks, running backs, everyone. But it's the numbers that he potentially can put up this season, MJ, that I think – has people thinking maybe MVP? Now we're going back to the offseason discussion. Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and their second year as a full-time starter, they won the Most Valuable Player Award. Although I know you like 
offensive player of the year just because certainly MVP is tied to record. Five and two is great, but Lamar Jackson last year, they went 14 and two, the Baltimore Ravens did. Yeah, and we've, you know, doing uh, different, we're having different conversations throughout the offseason. If you go back the last five years, the average win total for an MVP, 13 wins. Now, if you want to go back to the Offensive Player of the Year, first of all, I did look something up earlier, and when it came to the Offensive Player of the Year, Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Christian McCaffrey, Russell Wilson, Saquon Barkley, Mike Thomas, Derrick Henry, Delvin Cook, Watson, Ellie, and then Kyler Murray. So he was on this list. Now, if you and, and they really gave Murray a chance because they didn't think the team would win 13 games this year or 13 or 14. So if you want to go in history, when it comes to winning that award, um, it's very interesting because quarterbacks have won that award. Last year, Mike Thomas put up 163 catches. I mean, it was it was unbelievable for a wide receiver. The year before, Patrick Mahomes won the award. The year before, Todd Gurley, he may have had 30 rushing touchdowns. Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, DeMarco Murray. So it's happened with quarterbacks. Now it's usually a skill position player. Drew Brees won the award, so it's happened in the past. And I think he has a better option winning this, not saying they can't win 12, uh, 13 games. I think, it, you know, based on nine games, they got five right here. We would sign up for 10 right now. So what are your thoughts? I think two things certainly play in Murray's favor when it comes to postseason honors. One is how much did the team improve over last year? Five wins. They've already matched that total now through seven games. How many more wins can he stack? How many more wins can he help the team pick up in the second half of the season? And then second of all, he's on pace right now for 4,000 passing yards and 1,000 rushing yards. That's never been done before in the history of the National Football League. When you start adding history-making stats to the conversation and your resume, that certainly helps when you talk about a player for MVP or Offensive Player of the Year. Yeah, and, you know, Patrick Mahomes, the one year he threw a ton of touchdowns. I mean, the thing is, though, with the rushing, and if he throws for close to 4,000 yards, I think he's going to be close depending on how the next nine games and, he's, you know, depending on the rushing, obviously the, the, what he's projected to do is get the 999. I'm sure he'd get to 1,000 at that point. But, yeah, that would put him in the equation. And he may get some MVP votes if the team goes from five wins to 11 or 11 wins, whatever, um, just because they know how much he meant to that team. And, and, and really they don't have, like, second and third place awards for, for that. It's more – Unanimous, and a lot of times Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes probably were unanimous, maybe one vote. Um, but I do think he's got a better option. But if he go, he throws for 4,000 yards, I would say it's about 27 touchdowns, maybe even a little bit more um, than where he's at now. Uh, interceptions, hopefully no less than 14. And then if he gets, um, you know, the 1,000 yards and 4,000 passing, I think he he has to be in the conversation. Well, what we talk about with running back is it's 2,000, 2,000, right? I mean, rushing and receiving, and that's only been done a handful of times. Christian McCaffrey is the most recent player to do that. David Johnson wanted or attempted 
to do that, hit that milestone. But 4,000, 1,000 when it comes to a quarterback, I didn't know that had never been done before, but you don't think of a quarterback getting 1,000 rushing yards. But that is certainly a number, I think, that we might be talking more about because of the developments of these quarterbacks, high school, college, that can throw the ball and then they can run it. They can completely control an entire ball game because of their dual threat ability. Well, when uh, StatWiz tweeted that out and people followed up, first person they thought was Lamar Jackson. That Lamar Jackson didn't do that. And I was like, okay, well, maybe he didn't have the 4,000 yards and because we know that he uh, was very effective catching Mike Vick uh, for rushing yards. I'll tell you what, though, Craig. If DeAndre Hopkins finishes with 1,500 yards, 12 to 14 touchdowns, he could be in the same conversation. That's true because he would be – one of those players that helps elevate a team. And that's what these postseason honors are looking at. Yeah, it's a lot of it is stats and how big are the numbers, but also just what did the team do overall? Is there improvement? You know, because sometimes stats can be inflated. If you're on a bad team, all of a sudden you're the only option. You're the only weapon. So, of course, you're going to have a lot of numbers. But if this team does get to double-digit wins – I, you certainly could make the case for either Murray or Hopkins, depending on what their numbers are at the end of the season. And again, Mike Thomas, I mean, he set our, uh, history records, but if Hopkins can get to 1,500 yards, now I think he's projected somewhere between 15 and 1,600. I have to look it up. Um, doesn't have the touchdowns. Uh, you got to get in double digits. But uh, again, I, if, if Murray is in the conversation, I think we have to include DeAndre Hopkins. As well as Murray is playing and the numbers back it up, I've been impressed, and I think it was really highlighted on Sunday Night Football on his decision-making, and that's what we talked about a lot in the offseason. He's better making decisions. But his late-game heroics, end of the first half, end of the fourth quarter, and end of the overtime, what he was able to do, very poised to march the team downfield. You look at the end of the first half. 43 seconds left to go, three timeouts. He completed passes of 9, 12, 15, and 6 yards, plus a run of 2 yards. Then in the end of the fourth quarter, to send the game into overtime, 52 seconds left to go, no timeouts, completed passes of 11 and 16 yards, had three spikes, and then a run of 15 yards to put the team in position to kick that field goal to send the game into overtime. No sense of panic. Doesn't matter what the time is on the clock. Doesn't matter how many timeouts you have in your back pocket. The What he was able to do at the end of the game, at the end of each half, I think speaks volumes on how much he has grown as a quarterback in year two. Yes, and when you watch NFL games and you see these, you know, the guys that have been in the league a long time like Tom Brady and Drew Brees and Matthew Stafford, and they show you when the game is about five minutes to go and they show you their fourth quarter comebacks, I mean, it's pretty impressive. And that means they're able to win games by coming from behind or, in this case, put their team in position to win late in the fourth quarter. So that's that's something we're going to see continue. But it's impressive that I like the fact that he was in more control in this game than he was in the Cowboys game. I think just going back home and, you know, Obviously, living up to the expectations, the main thing is they won the game. 
Um, you know, I thought they showed something in the passing game. Obviously, his numbers weren't great, but I think you can live off that. But if this team's going to be successful, we always talk about good teams finding ways to win. You may not play well for all four quarters. And usually the NFL, if you're within one score, it comes down to the last five or six minutes. Teams kind of change, put the foot on their throttle if they're, you know, behind. So um, I think he's built for that. I think he's built for either if they're down by three to get seven, tie the game, or if he has to make a throw to put them in field goal range to get the victory. So I think he's built for that when it comes to late game. You know, kind of like um, when you say he's a clutch player in, in other sports, I think he's clutch. And I think Hopkins is like that. You could see Larry's been like that through his career. When the game's on the line, these guys want the ball in their hands. Yes, the spotlight, the bright lights, not too big. They don't cower under the pressure. Their game elevates when the game is at its most crucial point. Because in that fourth quarter, remember, he had that interception. Quandre Diggs picked him off, and then the Seahawks marched downfield to make it 34-24 with 6.44 to go. You're down 10. It would not have been a surprise. Any other quarterback, that's too insurmountable of a lead. And then you had just been picked off the last time that you were on the football field, and now you're being asked to get 10 points in the last five minutes to send the game into overtime or, even better, pick up the win, and that's exactly what he did. After that interception, he accounted for 91 of 129 yards, three carries for 33 yards, and then went 7 of 12 for 58 yards and a touchdown, and that includes those three spikes. Those are incompletions. You take that off the 12, now he's 7 of 9 passing for 48 yards and a score, all with under five minutes to go to get this team in position to kick a field goal, send it to overtime, and then and then win. Yeah, and just based on, you know, uh, you know, what Vance said they did at halftime, you know, obviously changed their defense a little bit. I think, you know, they always felt like they were in that game, even though they were down at the half and they were down, um, you know, late in the fourth quarter by 10 points or three minutes to go. Um, and it, it sounds like they, they felt that they could just put together a drive. And I think it's very important to mention down 10, and, and Wolfley hit it right on the head on the broadcast, you know, and Pash was like, well, you need points, you know, let's get three. And then obviously you had enough time and the Cardinals had the timeouts. They weren't going to do an onside kick to give him a short field. But, but getting that seven points was huge. Now, obviously, you wish you could have figured things out in regulation, but um, you needed the extra period. But that was huge right there. And I just felt like they they, they felt like, the game was still in hand, even though on the scoreboard it looked like it was going to be astronomical. They had that 52-yard field goal that was good, but the leverage call against the Seahawks, you take the points off, and then you go downfield and Christian Kirk scores that touchdown to pull to within three, and the Cardinals ultimately pick up their biggest win of the season, 37-34 in overtime. One other note on Kyler Murray, and when we talk about the national conversation, not sure you saw this on NFL.com, but David Carr ranked the top five quarterbacks under the age of 25. So that's keep that in mind. So there is no Patrick Mahomes. So that's the criteria here. Under the age of 25, he has, in no particular order, and then I'll give you who he has as number one. He lists Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Kyler Murray. He has Kyler Murray, at the age of 23, 
as the number one quarterback under the age of 25 ahead of last year's MVP, Lamar Jackson? A little surprising, um, but Joe Burrow, I mean, he's really exceeded expectations. I mean, the guy, I don't know if he's going to last a season, but he's putting up numbers like a little bit higher than Murray because of have to throw the ball all the time. You know, Lamar Jackson, I, I think Kyler's a better thrower. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson is, is, is become a better passer. Um, and obviously they're not, they don't want him to run as much because they do have quality tight ends and guys that can stretch the field and they got a good one, two punch in the running game and off, good offensive line. So I don't think they want to put everything on Lamar's plate. They just don't want him to, to turn the ball over. But accuracy wise, I would take Murray. Um, no, that's a good, that's a good list to be on, but I, I can understand, um, you know, looking at the, the ages and the upside. Uh, I can understand that. You know, I would have thought Murray been one, two, or I guess one or two when you started mentioning the names. This is what Carr wrote about Murray. Showed a lot of positives in his first year in Cliff Kingsbury's air raid offense, executing quick throws and extending plays by using his legs. In year two, Murray is being used on more designed QB runs, and he's chopping up defenses as a result, ranking first in rush yards among quarterbacks this season. Murray is often the most dynamic runner on the field. It just so happens he has a big-time arm, too. He also mentioned DeAndre Hopkins and how much Murray has improved his knowledge of the system and then also reading defenses, which I think is huge. And then he ended his write-up with this paragraph, talking about Kyler Murray. He's the most talented young quarterback right now. If Murray gets in a rhythm, he is the ultimate threat, an accurate passer, who's improving his vertical game and continuing to show ability as a runner that's comparable to Lamar Jackson's. That's pretty heady stuff, although I think Murray is a better runner than Jackson, at least as far as eluding tacklers, eluding hits, and knowing when to take off, especially when he sees the middle of the field on those, whether they're design runs or not, maybe called runs. Be interesting to see how many design runs versus called runs there have been this season. Yeah, and Lamar's a little bit bigger, so he's more of a target. Uh, Murray's obviously, you know, s- smaller stature, and I'm sure Lamar can run a 4-3, but he's a little bit bigger. He's put some upper body weight on. You know, I'm, I'm sure it's mass like Kyler did in the offseason, but, yeah, I, I think they're both dynamic in the open field. It's just Murray's a little bit more quick out of his breaks. Lamar takes a little bit more longer strides. Um, they're both effective as dual-threat quarterbacks. But I just think Murray's more accurate in the passing game. At least he has been. Now we need to see it over a period of time. Well, he was at almost 71% on Sunday night football. And you take away how many times he had to spike the football and it jumps up. I believe the number was 77. So he is, he's certainly accurate. It's maybe a little bit more consistent now on many of those throws, especially the deeper shots. Yeah. You just go back to the Dallas game and complete that nine passes, but. Yeah, you know, there's other ways to win this league. But I, I, for the most part, it was a little surprising that he was overthrowing guys early in the season. I, I was that was surprising me because that's one thing he 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 loves to throw from the pocket, even if he's got to step to the left or right, and he may, he can make that throw from the right hash mark to the left out. And not a lot of quarterbacks will even try that because you're likely going to get a pick six, the the defensive back. Um, he can make all the throws. It's just sometimes he's got to get his feet set. And, and people who are talking about his windup, he gets rid of the ball so quick. I don't, I don't know where that came from. I don't know if it was Brian Greasy on Monday Night Football, 
Uh, and maybe he would see stuff like that where he's a former quarterback and, and obviously, you know, he's, he's the analyst. But when we watch Murray in the open portion of practice, that ball comes out so quick. Now, when you are throwing it down the field a little bit more, you do have to have a little bit more of a windup. But I don't see that messing with his mechanics. And he's certainly a lot more mature off the field as well. Here's what he had to say after that game on Sunday Night Football with respect to the bye week. Quote, for me, there is no bye week. Last year, we kind of treated it like there was a bye week. This year, the head stays down. There is no bye week for me, so I'm going to keep at it and be ready to come back and lead these guys. End quote. And as we've discussed here on Cardinals Cover 2, that because of the COVID-19 protocols, all these players are staying in town because there is daily testing. And then, well, since you're at the facility for testing, you know, maybe you go inside the facility for a workout or watch some film and put a little bit extra time. Yeah, you do need that mental break, but this should be a much different team than what we saw a year ago when they came out of the bye and got embarrassed by the Rams. Yeah, that's the plan. And I just think they're um, – they're much more advanced. Uh, I think they got great leadership, and they've already had that dud game. You know, uh, you know, Lions game obviously had opportunities to win, but Detroit made plays. Carolina, they really didn't show up. So that's out of, that's out of their system, and now they're playing for something. And the last thing you want to do is, you know, is you come out of the break and go on a, a, lose that game, and then Buffalo's going to be a tough matchup. I know both games are at home, and then obviously you're going to have to start to play the NFC West again. So you want to build off this momentum uh, and, you, you know, just make sure you put your work in and the way you practice will dictate how you play on game day. You know, the way that Budabak Baker practices, that's the way he plays so well on game day. Other guys take suit of that. Bird Gang, subscribe to Arizona Cardinals podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Listen to your favorite shows on the go, like Cardinals Underground, the Big Red Rage, the Cardinals Red Sea Report, and, of course, this show, Cardinals Cover 2. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast for more information. We continue here on this Wednesday edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. I want to go back to what Vance Joseph had to say and maybe our final look at the Seattle Seahawks contest, and I think we got really a definitive take on exactly what happened from the first half to the second half, because Vance Joseph never sugarcoats anything. You ask him a question, he'll give you an answer, and we all want to know what flips, what changed. Well, players are saying, oh, you know, we just stuck to the plan. Well, what was the plan initially? What was going on? According to Coach Joseph, Seahawks, quote, played faster than we did in the first half. We couldn't match their speed, but then he mentioned third down. And I went back and looked because he brought it up a number of different times saying that they had a third down package, but they couldn't use it in the first half because the Seahawks only had three first downs. There were 10 third downs in the second half and overtime. Yes, the Seahawks converted four of those. They went four of 10, but it was the opportunity to get these this package, which we saw was crowd the line of scrimmage and show Russell Wilson different looks. According to Joseph, we knew it was going to work regarding the third down package, but our third down package wasn't alive until the second half. So that's when this game flipped is because the Cardinals defense forced the Seahawks into third down. You went on first down, second down, then you can set up third down to do what you want defensively. Yeah, that's impressive because you always talk about uh, halftime adjustments and, you know, 
they felt like they didn't match their, um, you know, their speed early on. And you give, uh, you know, Lockett credit. That was a great catch. Um, but they felt like they should have had better cover. And Patrick had good coverage, but they felt like they should have had more pressure on the quarterback, not allow him to make those throws. So, yeah, he's he's really uh, he's great to hear when he talks during the week because, like you said, he's a straight shooter. Um, he's going to tell you exactly what transpires. And, uh, you know, I, I like the fact that he's in a much better spot this year because he's got better players and – now he can really put his fingerprints on this defense like he wanted to do a year ago. Well, he makes it sound so simple at times. And again, it's blocking and tackling, but we all have questions on what we see. And it's certainly a complicated defense. And these players on the field are given so much and have to think in a split second and maybe not even think they're just reacting out there. Yet we kind of wait for a couple of days to let everything sink in look at the game maybe a couple of different times, a couple of different plays, and then wondering, well, why did this work? Why didn't that work? Because it's dramatically different, that first half to the second half. 377 yards versus less than 207 points by the Seahawks in the second half in overtime. So, yeah, something had to have happened, and it was simply just getting Russell Wilson into third-down situations. Yeah, it's the why. You want to know why it happened. And, and that's the beauty of being able to have the, you know, the opportunity to get a chance to ask coaches and players questions because, yeah, they know uh, what's transpiring and they, it's not confession where they got to tell you your place, but they'll give you an idea what was supposed to happen and what did happen. And Vance does a great job at that. Well, it's why he always points to third down as one of his major statistical categories that he pays attention to. And right now the Cardinals are number eight in the league at just under 37 percent. Of course, that number was a lot better earlier in the season. And I don't expect the Cardinals to stop everyone, especially the number one scoring offense as the Seahawks were coming into that game on Sunday night. When you look at the first seven games and now flipping the script to these last nine games, Joseph wants to see Fewer big plays in the passing game, better tackling, and then just better overall execution when it comes to what the call is from the sideline to the field. But you've always talked about those chunk throws. You can't give up big plays. And then the tackling, and I think that's something that every coach, every defensive coordinator across the league, they are never going to be happy with the tackling because the other players, as you say, get paid too, and they make guys miss. Yeah, and – the thing is, though, it's something that it's got to be a want to and a will. And there's a reason why they do certain drills before they actually practice. And it's about technique. It's about wrapping up, keeping your head and chin up. And you got to remind these guys all the time because they all want to go in for the, uh, you know, not so much for the big hit, the shoulder hit. Guy falls down quick enough. Um, and some of these guys can break tackles. So it's 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 more of a you got to remind these guys because, you know, football does come down to blocking and tackling and execution, but um, you don't want to have missed tackles. And when you have missed tackles, then all of a sudden, you know, a three-yard game becomes a nine-yard game, and then they only need a yard for a first down. And then eliminating the chunk plays, uh, that's just a more matter of more uh, communication and guys knowing their, their positions and what side of the fields they're playing. So those are all correctable, but, again, a lot of us want to and just putting your nose in the playbook and go out there and play on Sunday, not think as much. And it becomes a lot more difficult when it comes to the execution and the communication when you have guys shuffling in and out because of injury. Josh Morrow just added to the team. 
Jalen Thompson, we expect to come back soon. But familiar faces, new faces, old faces, I mean, you all have to mesh somehow. And I think Jordan Phillips, Devon Kennard, and Devondre Campbell certainly have meshed very well with respect to the three free agent additions to this team because as we're getting further and further into this season, MJ, the core of the Cardinals' defense is looking quite different. Yes, and, you know, when when you look at, you know, guys are bringing in, um, you know, again, defensive line, know your assignments. Uh, Josh Morrill's played for the franchise. He was with the Giants. He was in Jacksonville most recently. He was with the Raiders. So he's played, and, and there's only so much you can do on the D-line as long as you got de- uh, gap discipline and integrity. Uh, Marcus Gold in the pass rusher, you know, basically he's going to have to learn some of the assignments, but he's a guy that's going to rush the passer. So hopefully they can come, come in and, you know, plug and play guys um, and then lean on their leadership there because the guys have been in the system for a couple of years. But, you know, you know, unfortunately injuries are part of it and you don't want to have too many at certain spots. But uh, I feel good about the rotation. You know, you just hope that at this point in time they can stay healthy for the remainder of the season. A reminder, Bird Gang, Cardinals Flight Plan, episode six of season number three, Raising the Bar, coming up this weekend, October 31st, on the official Arizona Cardinals YouTube page. Go to youtube.com slash Cardinals. Really looking forward to that coming up this weekend. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Special thanks, as always, to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Mike Jarecki, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.